0: the Dancepreneuring Studio, Session 77, Seven Dance Myths Dispelled. Hi there, and welcome to Session number 77 of the Dancepreneuring Studio. I'm Annette Bone, and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the privilege of bringing you some of the best and creative minds who are connected to the art of dance, and they share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. Coming up in our Step to Success segment this week, Staying Sane. I have a lot of S's in this session. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, Dancer's Dialect segment, Cut to the Chase. In our Freestyle Flow segment, Deja Vu, and coming up in our feature presentation, Seven Dance Myths Dispelled. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey everyone, this is Emory, high performance coach, top selling dance instructor on Udemy, and author. And you're listening to another session of the Dancepreneuring Studio with my friend, Annette Bone. It's profitable to be skillful and wise. Welcome to this week's Step to Success. A step to your success is anything that moves your life and your business forward. Whether it's an app, a book, or an idea, you can apply something today that will help you succeed. Today's step to success is establishing a hard stop time from your work. And what I mean is if you're especially if you're freelance, you're entrepreneur, and you have a flexible schedule, you need to determine when you're going to actually stop doing work. Now, I'm totally talking to myself because (laughs) I do not do this I do it sometimes. And so that's why I'm talking about it, because I can get close to burnout and I can physically feel like, oh, my goodness, I just need to stop for a while and do something else and then get back to what I'm doing. And so I do love the flexibility of working when I feel the most productive. And for me, that's usually early, mid mornings. And So I can keep going and going, especially when you're in a zone and you get really focused and you want to get done. And I find that a lot with the podcast, too. When I'm working on the podcast, I just don't want to stop sometimes, you know, and and then there's other things, especially creative things and putting content together that I just get going. And it's it's very easy to get caught up in that. But at the same time, I think there is a delicate balance, especially as an entrepreneur working as freelance or working on different projects that you just have to establish a stop time. And one of the tricks, I guess you would say uh, that I learned, and I've only done this a couple times is when I'm working remotely there are times where I will not take my power cord. And so whatever my wherever my battery level is at on my computer, I will work until that battery runs out and I can't work anymore. So it forces me to prioritize and it forces me to really focus and get things done, which I do definitely a better job at when I'm working remotely as opposed to working at home. So I would recommend establishing – I would recommend <laughs> – establishing a stop time. Gosh, I wonder if I'm going to edit that out anyway. Okay. So I would recommend establishing a stop time for when you're going to stop working so that you can focus on other things, give your mind a break, get some fresh perspective when you do go back to working on whatever it is you're working on. And I think you'll find that very helpful. I know I need to continually tell myself this is something I need to implement a lot more often. And now, Life and Business Connect with the Dancer's Dialect. The Dancer's Dialect is the dancer's language. I share dance terminology and concepts across different genres so you can see the correlations in your life and in your business. Today's word is coupé, which is a classical ballet term and it means to cut or cutting, And a coupé describes a step where one foot cuts the other foot away, taking its place. And it's usually done as an in-between step for a larger step. Or also there are turns called coupé turns where your foot is placed either in the front of your ankle or in the back of your ankle. And I got reminded of this term because we've been doing a lot of things with coupé in ballet and in jazz and actually also in hip hop. The choreography called for coupé turns. And A lot of times I assess what I feel I've done well in class and what I feel I could improve on. Of course, the latter being a bigger category of what I focus on. (laughs) So I thought, oh, my goodness, I just realized and I don't know why it didn't come to me. I was doing all these turns in the choreography in passe, which is at the knee. As opposed to coupe, which the teacher called for clearly, and I wasn't doing them. And I thought, oh, gosh, okay, I just need to pay attention more and make sure that I'm clear with my movements And so it also reminded me the importance of being definitive and being clear, and especially in communications, whether it's communicating with someone in your family or with a business partner or with a client for a project. Oh, my goodness. In my experience with working with different clients and different projects, communication is key. And not only communication, but clarity and consistency in your communication, because you may think you're being clear, but... (laughs) the other person will will not receive it as such so that could be a whole subject in itself but as i was re- reevaluating how i did in these these recent classes i thought okay i just i need to focus more i need to make sure that i'm telling my body what to do because it is mental over physical a lot of the times most of the time and i need to be clear with not only my communication but with my movements And now anything goes with freestyle flow. What's on your mind today, Annette? Hmm, do I even talk about this? Yes, because I said, hmm, do I even talk about this? So there's that curiosity factor, right? (laughs) So anyway, you'll see what I mean. Why I said that in the beginning, but my son a few months ago had asked me about signing him up to do some background acting work. He was interested in it, and. Of course, I want to encourage his interest, so I did all the necessary things to get him signed up and do that thing, and so he's done a few projects, and one of the recent (laughs) ones—I'm laughing, and you'll see why I'm laughing, or you you will hear why I'm laughing at this, because I just—oh, wow. Anyway, so I was on set with him, and— there's a lot of waiting around between shooting scenes. And if you're in that business of entertainment and acting and that kind of thing, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of things that go behind the scenes and it's a lot of work and a lot of people to make things happen. And it's just like any project. It takes, it takes a lot to do what seems like a little, but it's not a little because it is quite a lot. So (laughs) one of the adult Actors that were there uh, made, had started a conversation with me as we were in transit waiting. I was waiting for my son to be done with a scene, and <laughs> proceeded to ask me questions about you know, what else I did besides taking him to these things. And and I had uh, mentioned about iPodcast and it's and he asked about what, and I said it's about dance and business. And you would think maybe you know dance and business there'd be some kind of I don't know. I think some kind of intelligent discussion about it. At least that's what I would think because it's a it's an interesting combination. At least it is to me. And then he proceeded to ask me if I was a deja vu dancer. Now, I did not know what he was talking about. So I gave him this puzzled look like deja vu. What is, you know, what is that? So I come to find out that it's a um, it's a gentleman's club. I think that's <laughs> what you would call it in a nice term. Nice in quotes, I guess, and so <laughs> I said, "Oh no, no!" And he said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm not judging you if you are, or you know, that's what you kind of talk about because I, you know, I don't I don't judge that." And and I thought, well, you know, no, I I do I do topics on business and dance and entrepreneurship and productivity and performance and that kind of thing. And he's like, "Oh, okay, well." And then he proceeded to make comments about, you know, how I look like that I, you know, I don't eat certain food and I'm fit and that kind of thing. So, you know, that was, of course, complimentary, but I thought, oh, my goodness, do you really ask someone if they're that kind of dancer, I guess? And so it got me thinking that the word dancer really can kind of conjure up <laughs> different imagery and different thoughts about what that word is. And so... <laughs> I'm still, can you tell, I'm still laughing about it because it was so funny to me because I had no idea what that meant. And then I'm thinking, you know, I think I've seen signs for those kind of places around, especially being in L.A. and stuff. You see kind of interesting stuff, right? Anyway, so <laughs> lesson, don't assume you know what someone's profession is, even if you have this stereotypical <laughs> image of it. So be aware of that. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. I talked about this a little bit in the Freestyle Flow segment, as you heard, and the word dancer does conjure up different imagery and different misconceptions. I wanted to give you seven myths that I found in my experience. This could apply to any profession. There's misconceptions about any industry, any profession, different cultures, that's a whole another subject. And so the first misconception about dancers is that dancers are extroverts because of the persona they have to portray on stage. This could go for any artistic form, whether it's an actor or singer. You will find, though, that a lot of artists are quite Introverted and quite reserved and calm and not necessarily the persona that they portray on stage that the choreography or the character requires. And I thought about this in terms of class too, because I used to think, oh my goodness, these people are kind of stuck up and that could also be the case too, but that can be any environment. And what I've come to realize is that no, they're either really focused on the class, they don't want to talk, they're just not talkers, they're just calm, and they they just want to focus on the class and doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with their personality or that they're stuck up. It's just, that's how they are in class. And so dancers are not all extroverts. But of course, there are definitely some that are way extroverted. Myth number two. Dancers take the utmost care of their bodies. Now, you would think that is the case, right? But I found that there are a lot of dancers that don't. They eat a lot of junk food. They don't get a lot of sleep. They allow themselves to think negatively, and yet some of them still dance well, (laughs) I guess, if you call it dancing well. I think that really good dancers, if they incorporated all of this stuff, could be unstoppable. But that's, again, another subject. But I noticed this with even in college and then when I stopped dancing, then obviously getting back into dance and just all the abuse that goes on in your body and thinking that you don't need rest time and smoking. (laughs) I got reminded of this the other day. I was walking out of the studio, and here is uh, just an amazing dancer, and she's just puffing away. And I thought, well, it could be a coping thing. And not to judge, of course, but back in college, too, I had a lot of dancer friends that they were incredible dancers, but they smoked a lot. And I noticed that it really affected them in class because their faces were beat red and just completely out of breath. But come to find out, it was a substitute for not eating as much and trying to keep up their figure. So not all dancers take the utmost care of their bodies, although they they should. And I know that different things work for different people. Myth number three, dancers can choreograph, teach, and perform. When you think of dancer, you think most the general public thinks, oh, they can make up these moves. They made up all these dance moves and they can do stuff on the spot. And oh, can you teach me And and come to find out? Dancers have strengths in different areas. It's rare where someone and they're, of course, out there that they can dance, they can teach, they can choreograph and do all those things very, very well. But not every dancer can do that. Some dancers are really good at performing, but they can't teach or choreograph. There's some dancers that are really good at freestyle or improvisation, but they're not good at choreography. And then there's some dancers that are really great at choreography and having steps predetermined for them and executing them. But come to an improv session or a freestyle session, there they would be completely mortified. So not all dancers are good at all areas of dance, whether it be teaching choreography or performance. So you got to find what works for you and what your goals are in those areas. Myth number four, dancers know their dance history. If you want to delve deeper into a subject and really embody it and embrace it, I think you really need to go back and know the history and find the origins and where things come from and taking a deeper dive into any subject that you're passionate about, I think just enhances the whole experience. And a lot of dancers don't know the greats that came before them and paved the way for for them to experience this beautiful art. And so I think they would if they took the time to find out all this great information and where the history is, I think they would appreciate the art that much better. And that goes for anything. Another dance myth is that you have to start dancing early in order to be a really great dancer. Now, that is definitely a myth because we have examples all over the place of people who started late and that are amazing. The number one example I can think of off the top of my head is Misty Copeland, who started she started ballet at 14 and was told that she did not have the right body type for ballet. And she totally defied all the negative stuff that was thrown at her. And um, I really admire her. Other examples are Alice Clock and Dear Maid O'Meara, which I don't think I pronounced the name right, but he is a ballet dancer. And Johan Koburg. There's other people too. What I found interesting was that the classical Greek philosopher Socrates learned to dance at age 70 because he felt that that was an essential part of himself and that area was neglected. Isn't that interesting? I found that really interesting. So that is definitely a myth and that's way blown out. There's so many other examples in different genres of dance where people started late and they are amazing. Another myth is that you have to have a certain body type or look a certain way in order to dance well. Granted, you have certain styles that call for your body type to be a certain way, and there are people that defied that. We talked about Misty Copeland. But at the same time, you can own who you are and what you look like and perform really well and perform the choreography well. There have been dancers who look like they just if you looked at them at a glance, you think, oh, they can't do that or they can't do that step. And then they execute it amazingly. So never prejudge. And there are so many styles of dance that anybody can find anything that will work for them. And if you're passionate and you work hard at the style and you develop your craft, the body type should not be a hindrance. And myth number seven is that all great dancers have full capacity and utilization of all body parts. And that myth is definitely blown out of the water as well. You can listen to my interview with Marissa Hamamoto, who I featured on Best of Dancepreneuring Part 4, as well as her interview in its entirety. And I've linked it in the show notes at AnnetteBone.com forward slash 077 who was partially paralyzed and was told that she was never going to walk again, let alone dance. And she founded a professional wheelchair dance company and is doing amazing things. There are other people that have incorporated people with learning disabilities and maybe not full utilization of limbs and um, different neuromuscular limitations and not having sight or Whatever it is, there are dance companies out there that have incorporated these people and have done a beautiful job. So just because you don't have certain capabilities does not mean that you cannot be a great dancer or a great performance artist. Other companies like Axis and Heidi Latsky and um, there are other ones that I will link in the show notes. Another interview that I would recommend that you listen to that I did was with Trisha Gomez of Dance in a Box and another program that she's developed in order to accommodate people with different uh, learning challenges. And so it's amazing what dance can do, even if you don't have what the world considers full capabilities. my question to you is, are there any dance myths that you think surround this art? I would love to hear about them. And you could go to AnnetteBone.com forward slash 077, where you'll also find the show notes to this session And if you found this podcast helpful or any of the other sessions helpful, I would really appreciate a rating review and for you to subscribe and you can go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and that way I can continue improving the podcast, get the word out more, and also give you a shout out on a future session of the in Studio. Until next time, I pray that you have an exceptional week and more blessings than you can imagine. I really look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you for listening. This has been a session of the Dancepreneuring Studio. Find the archives of this show at annettbone.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Contact Annette at annettebone.com. This podcast copyright by annettbone.com and dancepreneuring.com. All rights reserved. The Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business.